Welcome to Straight Talk with Wine Spectator, a podcast from the world's most widely read wine magazine. Here on Straight Talk, we're bringing the pages of Wine Spectator to life, from the latest vintages of the world's best wines to in-depth interviews with the world's best winemakers. We'll also be answering your questions, covering the latest wine industry news, and much more. And now, let's hear a wine experience welcome for the M. Schenken founder and chairman, editor and publisher of Wine Spectator, Marvin R. Schenken. I've heard rumors that there's some people here that have been here for many, many, many years. I heard a number. Hi, I'm Ken McGuire. I'm from New York City, Greenwich Village, actually. I'm here about 40 years or so, maybe more. <laughs> Jim Bryan, Barrington, Illinois, 40. Cecilia Salvador from Panama, 38 years. Okay, so last year was my rookie season. And I went 0 for 3 in a tie. You, you are still a rookie. And, and wait a minute. And we were easy on you last year. Yeah, and you are still a rookie. Wow. Two years? Now the gloves come off today. Can, can we give a round of applause to the rookies? Because, because you don't know what you've done coming here, people. I'm James Molesworth, Senior Editor and Special Projects Director for Wine Spectator. And in this episode of Straight Talk, we're talking to the stars of Wine Spectator's 2023 New York Wine Experience. And yes, that was superhuman chef and humanitarian extraordinaire Jose Andres you just heard. He's one of the regulars at our annual wine experience, along with fellow chefs Emeril Lagasse and Eric Repair. And of course, there's wine. This year's tastings included verticals of the great Tuscan Merlot Massetto, Chateau Lynchbage from Poyac, Chateau de Beaucastel on the Rhone, and Washington State's Cayuse. Plus, there's the entire lineup of the reigning top 10 wines of the year from 2022 and more. Even better, it's all for charity, and we'll be sharing all the highlights coming up right here on Straight Talk. We've also got a new issue of the magazine on newsstands. Our November 30th, 2023 cover story takes you to 10 great travel destinations for food and wine, from Seattle to the Hamptons. The issue also includes our annual tasting reports for Argentina, California Merlot, and France's Loire Valley. But first, we're talking about the New York wine experience. I was there, and so was our podcast director, Rob Taylor, capturing the action live as it happened. And to thank him for his hard work, I'm going to play him on with a song. Well, there's a grape from another vine. Have a different glass, you'll be fine. And if you can't be with the wine you love, honey, love the wine you're with. Love the wine you're with. Love the wine you're with. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, for those who didn't follow Wine Spectator's video contest this year, that was our 2023 winner, Love the Wine You're With. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was a specific message from, from you to me or from me to you, James. It feels feels good for just, the podcast just tonight. Just trying to put some, some happiness in your life, Rob. Uh, the, the winning video gets played for the Wine Experience audience every year, and it comes with a pair of full weekend passes, so get ready your uh, camcorders and your, your iPhones for next year's contest. Uh, it's great to be back in the real studio with you, James, but our annual weekend in Times Square was a lot of fun, too. A lot of fun is putting it mildly, Rob. Two and a half days of both seminar presentations and walk-around tastings. Over 260 wineries representing the entire world of wine. And in turn, those wineries are represented by either their winemaker or an owner, which puts our attendees up close and personal with the folks responsible for these wines. I've heard it referred to as the Oscars of wine. I like to call it our harvest, though. At Wine Spectator, we've sent our last issue of the year to the printer, and so we turn our, our full effort into this event, hosting a few thousand people over the weekend, all in support of the wine and hospitality industry. 
It's hands down the the premier wine event in the world. This was my 20th, actually. Thank you very much. Nice. How many uh, wine experiences is this for you, James? I think I'm 25 or 26 now. Every year, it's just like everywhere you turn, it's these industry superstars. I got to the Marriott on Thursday, and I was waiting for the elevator, and I, I just turned to my right, and I was standing next to Angelo Gaia which is always fun. <laughs> yeah. And then the event's closing up and uh, I'm wrapping up with the video cameras and the mics with the video crew and we go out to the valet and we're waiting for the valet and it's taken a while. And But there's a guy next to us who's been waiting even longer and I'm <laughs> looking, it's Daniel Balud. Of course. And like, hey, Daniel Balud, he waits for the valet too. But these people like Angelo Gaia and Daniel Balud are all coming together to pour their wines and share their food and meet the readers of Wine Spectator. And as you mentioned earlier, it's all to benefit a great cause. Absolutely right. For those who don't know, event proceeds go to the Wine Spectator Scholarship Foundation, which provides grants and scholarships to a variety of wine-related and culinary programs. It's raised more than $30 million since its inception in 1982, thanks to the generous help of the wineries that donate their wines and the attendees who purchase their tickets to the event. But let's get to some of the action from the event, Rob. And I think we need to bring back our old pal, senior editor for news, Mitch Frank. Something expensive, something impressive, something for everyone. A tonight. Thank you, guys. Good to see you, Rob and James. And thank you for the reminder of my college musical theater days. I really needed that. Can we get a sample? <laughs> no, and I actually was in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. So I can sing comedy tonight. Yes. Uh, this was my 18th wine experience, if you're counting. But I am stunned every year at how fresh and exciting it is. And it was great to see you guys. Good to see you too, Mitch. Help us out, though. Uh, give the folks a sense of the scope of the wine experience. You got some numbers? Yeah, I was going to say, how, how about more than 4,000 people? 339 of the world's best wines poured from 16,872 bottles into 48,582 wow. glasses. Give or take a glass or two. Sure. Yeah, you know, there were a few crashes during the course of the weekend. You can't make a wine experience without breaking a few glasses. That is true. That is true. So the way it works, for two nights, we hosted grand tastings where guests could sample 263 wines from all over the world, all rated 90 points or higher. During the daytime, there were seminars for almost 1,000 people where you can hear from some of the world's top winemakers as they bring and serve multiple cases of wine from their cellars and explain what went into making those wines. And in case you get hungry, there were lunches that spotlighted wine as well. This year, it was Washington State uh, one day and Super Tuscans another day. And to close it out, there was a champagne reception featuring food from incredible New York restaurants like The Modern and Per Se. Everybody, I hope, got a hot dog with caviar on top of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Eight classic bubblies and six top whiskeys picked by our colleagues at Whiskey Advocate. Plus, during the seminars, you get to taste some original dishes from Jose Andres, Eric Repair, Emerald Lagasse, and Danny Meyer's Union Square Cafe uh, during our annual Chef's Challenge seminar. Frankly, I'm exhausted from the whole weekend. I think Enjoy we all are. <laughs> <laughs> and every wine served at the event is pre-screened for flaws by an army of sommeliers from top restaurants across the country. They're up before dawn, checking thousands of bottles over those three days, ensuring that no corked wines ever reach anyone's glass. David Gordon of Tribeca Grill has been heading up that SOM team for decades, and he took a really quick break to tell me about it. And uh, he also got a little sentimental. 
So I've been doing the sommelier program for 30 years. First year was 1991. So we start at 7.30 a.m. And we pre-taste all the wines for the seminars. And so there's about 25 to 30 wines each day, I, I think. And we work in teams of two. And each sommelier tastes 60 bottles of the same wow. wine uh, for flaws. And we pull out the cork bottles and the flawed bottles and so that every bottle that goes out to the seminar guests is perfect. Right. Uh, we also have to chill the wine to the proper temperature, and we follow the instructions of the um, chateaus as far as decanting, sometimes single decanting or double decanting, depending on what they want. Sometimes we decant for aeration, sometimes for sediment, sometimes for both. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a big uh, operation with a lot of moving parts. And um, memories that stand out um, for me personally was 2002, Tribeca Grill got the Grand Award, and the wine experience was in Las Vegas. And uh, at the dinner, the Grand Award banquet, I was presented with the Grand Award, so I had to make a, a short speech. But then um, later, James Brown came out and played, <laughs> and he was just incredible. And on the same trip, my wife and I were celebrating our 10th anniversary, and we went to an Elvis uh, chapel and renewed our vows. Wow. So it was just a fantastic weekend, and that's like one of the cherished memories of the wine experience for me. What a year. Yeah, it was a great, great year. Great vintage. It was a great year. And we're still married. Congratulations. <laughs> it worked. It worked. You heard it here first. That's Come right. to the wine experience, renew your vows, <laughs> you'll, you'll be together forever. That's right. That's right. 31 years. And that's the kind of memory this event seems to create. It's not just the wine, but all the stories that go around with it. You know, the event has a real hardcore base of wine lovers, many of whom have been coming for many years. And there's also lots of newbies in the mix. And it's great to hear as the event starts to come to an end, um, not only are they just kind of overwhelmed, but loving it at the same time, they also say they already can't wait for next year. Now, Rob, you talked to Greg Brewer, the winemaker from down in Santa Barbara, after one of the grand tasting evenings. And he also got a little emotional talking about his time on the wine experience stage back in 2015. Yeah, our Straight Talk listeners, of course, will know Greg from episode 12 and our bonus episode. And, you know, he's one of those guys who's in the booth from the second the doors open to the last call. Mm -hmm. So I had him come by and uh, he told us about some of his uh, favorite wine spectator memories, not to mention, you know, just what the event means to him and to lots of winemakers like him. Oh, gosh, I love catching up with everybody. You know, it's such an incredible tasting. Like it feels... Every time you walk up onto, you know, the fifth floor, the sixth floor, and it's like you're walking on stage. You're walking on a global stage of like the best of the best of the best. And it's, it's such an honor and it's so like high stakes in a beautiful way. You know, it's not like, oh, how are you going to perform? You know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, like we're here and it doesn't get any better than this. You know, and you're looking around the room and there are wines that like you've read about and seen photos of, you know, a lot of things I've never even tasted, but I've like studied. And then there they are, like at a table <laughs> and you post up and you can ha you try them and meet the people behind them. And it's, it's really incredible. You know, it's really incredible. And I love, you know, I think it's been nine or 10 years now for me here, eight or nine. And, you know, it's really, it's super important to me too, I think, you know, on behalf of Santa Rita Hills and Santa Barbara, you know, to be in the room. And it's, it's so, I'm so prideful about that, you know, because I've dedicated 32 years of my life to this little pocket in Santa Barbara. And, you know, seeing us in the context of the global world of wine, there's half a dozen languages going off all the time. Like everyone's like sexy and dressed up and wearing suits <laughs> and dresses. No, it's very like grown up and it's awesome and, f and like formal in a cool way, right? Not formal stuffy, but like important and valuable. It feels valuable. 
Um, and that part I really cherish about it. I treasure that element because it's, it's a big deal here, you know, and I, I never take that part for granted. I always really look forward to it. Do you have a, a favorite memory in your mind from a wine experience in the past? When you think of the wine experience, is, are there any, any moments that really jump out at you? Yeah. Um, kind of like an emotional, sorry, I'm kind of like manic and tired because of harvest. But when we were um, top 10 wine of the year, that was amazing. At the pedestal and looking out at a thousand people and you know, having those three minutes, you know, to share the story. And, you know, it was funny because I love public speaking and I love, you know, that's kind of like I'm better at that than making wine. Um, but I, uh, you know, leading up, it was like PowerPoint, this plan, rehearse your speech, whatever. And I didn't. I mean, this is my entire life in existence. I've sacrificed everything. for This is my identity. And so what am I going to prepare? I mean, it's just me. And I'm, I'm mindful of time and everything else. But those three minutes were like it was euphoria, like being at the for Santa Barbara and for Santa Rita. You know, it was like in that moment, a thousand people were like with me, you know, and you all had that confidence in me and the appellation to kind of give me that privilege to present on that scale with the gnarliest wine people in the world. And that was it for sure. Those three minutes were like. I mean, I, I barely remember them, but it was, <laughs> I've, seen the, I've seen the playback a couple of times. Um, yeah, but that, I mean, that, that, that was the one for sure. I'll never forget that. Yeah, we really appreciate the winemakers like Greg Brewer coming in. I know it's tough for some of them because harvest is usually not quite done at this time of year. So a lot of them fly in and out just for the event. But despite the pressure they're under, the event always seems to elicit that kind of response that Greg gave. It's, a, it's like a giant family reunion every year. Yeah, I passed by Greg's uh, booth to taste his wine, and he kept coming from behind the table to hug somebody else uh, who, you know, a consumer, longtime fan of the wines, or somebody meeting him for the first time who had just tasted it. Uh, he mm. really seemed to be enjoying it, despite having fermenting vats back home. Well, let's get right into the seminars here. Now, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of this event in the amount of time here, so... I'm going to remind everyone that you can read about all the seminars and tastings at this year's wine experience at winespectator.com, and all of those articles are free, as will be the videos, which will be coming up in the next few weeks. Seminars started as they usually do, guys, with a tasting of vintage champagne. Three rosés, three vintage rosés, and that's absolutely the way every day of wine tasting should start. I was going to say not just champagne, but pink champagne. I thought it was a great panel, especially because the three vintage cuvées from Tétanger, Boulanger, and Rare were all very different in style. So it was a great wake-up for all the guests. Mitch, I know there's no relation, but I'm going to ask you about it anyway. Uh, we had a very fun seminar from Rich Frank of Frank Family Vineyards. Yeah, Rich is a fascinating guy. Unfortunately, no relation, sadly, because I could use, uh, you know, he, he sold that winery for a good amount of money. Rich comes from the entertainment industry. He talked a little bit about his humble upbringing in Brooklyn uh, and how he eventually got into TV. Some of your favorite shows like Laverne and Shirley and Morgan Mindy, he was kind of a creative force behind. And then he was vacationing, kind of had a second home in Napa and got into the wine industry and started creating some incredible Chardonnays. So to have his perspective and his humor was fantastic. One of the things I really loved about Rich was he was just talking about how the creative process works from entertainment to wine. He told us a little story about how he unexpectedly came up with the title for one of his biggest blockbuster films. We were making a film uh, about a hooker 
um, and a businessman. And he was paying her $3,000 to stay with him for the week. And I read the report that said the intent to see was like zero. And I got in a car to go to a meeting and the driver turned on the radio and I heard a Roy Orbison song and I said, that's the movie. And I called back to the studio and I said, can you get the rights? And they called me later and they said it was very expensive, it was $40,000. I said, just buy it, get the rights in perpetuity. We took the commercials, we changed the name from 3,000 and Pretty Woman became a giant smash. Um, so. James, you did moderate several seminars mm-hmm. and one of those was California Pinot Noir. Yeah, we took a look at four Sonoma Pinot Noirs, one mountain, three from the Sonoma coast, all from the 21 vintage, which is a fantastic vintage. We had uh, Thomas Rivers Brown, Jason Jardine, Matt Courtney, and Carlo Mondavi. And Carlo told a great story about the past and how he got his sort of uh, wine bug planted in his mind while tasting a 64 Riesborg in the cellar at DRC next to his grandfather, Robert Mondavi, along with Aubert de Villain of DRC and uh, quite a few podcast alumni in there. We've got the Devilane interview. Three got, of them. Yeah, Matt Courtney was on for the Chardonnay and TRB has been on for the Cabernet Report. So that was a really good panel tasting. Uh, let's take a listen to that. And then in the meantime, we've got to line those other two guys up. Everybody knows that the secret to making great Pinot Noir is to come on straight talk. <laughs> <laughs> when we went down in the cellar, Aubert thiefed out this, this liquid and poured it into our glass. And it was unlike anything I had had, just the aromatics, the rose petals, the tea. A long story short, it was this rose petal, this tea, this lift, and at the end of it, um, he pulled out a bottle with just caked in, in the cellar mold and just dusted it off. It was a shiner, no label. Opened it, poured out this beautiful amber liquid, and, and, and we, it was a blind wine. He said, blind wine, you guys. So we're smelling, tasting, and it, it went from, you know, when we were tasting out a barrel, these beautiful, juicy fruit and flowers to more dried, you know, berries, more dried rose petal, more dried tea, and... I was like, this is how wines can start and finish as they get older and, and age. And this wine was still young. Um, uh, it's incredible. And my grandfather, everyone was guessing what it was. And my grandfather and Aubert had his gaze at each other. And my grandfather finally said, this is the 1964 vintage, the year we met. And it was the 64 vintage of Richborg. And I remember thinking to myself, if this was what wine could be, this is a pursuit, which is kind of why what has led me out to the true Sonoma Coast and with the focus we have at Rain. 64, Richborg with Devilane and your grandfather in the cellar at DRC. I think, I think you won that day. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and not knowing it either. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, it was a different it, world. It planted the seed, though. It yeah. planted the seed. Yeah, that Carlo Mondavi story was incredible. And it really just adds the inspiration to the wine, makes you remember why wine is special, that it's, that it's memories inside the wine. Easily one of the most popular events at the wine experience every year is this Chef's Challenge. Mm-hmm. Emeril Lagasse has been doing it for decades. Chef Jose Andres has been doing it for at least 10, I think. Eric Repair is a longtime guest, as is Danny Meyer. All four of them were back this year. Mitch, why don't you explain the, uh, the format of the Chef's Challenge? Well, the format is we put senior editor Bruce Sanderson on the hot seat and the entire audience gets to <laughs> eat delicious food. No, seriously, the chef's challenge is really about wine and food pairing, which I remember Danny Myers said at one point during the seminar that this, this is what wine and food is about. It's about pairing them together. And so each of the chefs prepares a dish with their team uh, that they bring for the audience. And both the chefs 
and Bruce all pick wines that they think will be the perfect match with that dish. And the audience gets to taste it all and vote. And it usually ends up in a lot of ribbing each other, a lot of teasing each other, and a whole lot of fun and delicious food. Let's take a listen to a short clip of that seminar. But also, I will remind our listeners that that video will soon be available on winespectator.com as well. I'm going with both wines. (laughs) Why? Because if we go more often with both, and we give everybody the credit they deserve, America and the world will be a much better place. (laughs) Everybody brings something to the conversation, and I'm going for both. I'm not taking sides on this one. I think both go amazingly well with the mackerel. I am Jose Andres. I endorse this message. Thank you. So does that mean, Jose, that everybody gets to vote with both hands? Well, let's I, I will propose that. Let's ask them. I, I will propose three votes. I will propose three votes. One wine, the other wine, and both wines. That's what I'm proposing. We got three votes. And let's three votes. elect a speaker once and for fucking all. <laughs> a speaker of the House. Is elections going on in the House, Eric? Eric is always swimming for fish, and he doesn't know what's going in Washington. That's why his fish is so fresh. Where, where is the translator for Jose, please? I haven't heard anything. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I got a show on CNN, so yeah. Some people say, how the fuck that happened? But yeah, that's why I love America, people. <laughs> And it's not just our attendees who go crazy for the chefs. The winemakers do, too. And I had a great chat with Bouchane winemaker Chris Kajani uh, about her personal wine experience obsession. Well, you're catching me on an, an adrenaline high because I just saw Chef Jose Andreas. And oh I am boy. obsessed with him. Aren't I, we all? He's just magic to me. And I, I love what he's doing with World Central Kitchen. I love that he so insanely committed to feeding people that he's in war zones um like how amazing is that that he he can get chefs and get food and make things happen so that uh people are fed it's it's just incredible and so inspiring um so every time i see him i just get this incredible adrenaline rush i just love him we are so excited and so lucky that he joins us pretty much every year um how serious did your stalking get (laughs) There is a year, the first time I think I saw him in the wild uh, was outside of where the wine experience is held at the Marriott Marquis, and he was getting in a taxi, and I just yelled, hey, and he turned around, and he opened his arms, and I ran over and gave him a hug and got a selfie, um, talked to him for a couple minutes. It was amazing. Uh, if that doesn't sell people on the wine experience, I don't know what to Right, <laughs> right? Oh, my Lord. And then, of course, throughout the entire event, over the course of three or four seminars, We pour the top 10 wines of the previous year. This year, we were pouring the top 10 wines of 2022. James, how did you feel about those this year? Yeah, sprinkled in throughout the event are the top 10 wines from last year. We break them up into little two and three wine panels because they tend to be a pretty eclectic group of wines. Uh, In particular, we finished with the wine of the year tasting, which was last year's uh, selection of the double diamond Cabernet from Schrader. And we had winemaker Thomas Rivers Brown back. He got a a redux on the stage uh, and he had a a really interesting origin story to talk about and a few funny uh, lines in there as well. Well, let's let's go back a little further. Um, I got to California and I was sleeping in a friend's closet um, (laughs) and I was paying $50 a month and they put a sheet up between the closet and the bedroom. (laughs) 
So I had reduced rent, but a full share of utilities. And I was um, driving up to Napa three days a week, knocking on a bunch of doors. And the coolest part about Napa is if you show interest in something, people really take that to heart and they appreciate your passion for things and doors started to swing open. And in Napa, if you know five people, then all of a sudden you know 50, you know 500, you know 5,000, and that's the total population of Napa. So all of a sudden <laughs> you kind of know everyone. But it was really a time when the first tech money was coming into Napa. Mm -hmm. Incredible sellers, incredible access to wine, and again, very generous people who were very excited to open any bottle you showed interest on. Right before we got on stage, I, I was standing off stage with Thomas Rivers Brown, and he commented to me about how full the room was, and I, I had to break it to him. I said, Thomas, they're actually here for the Macedo Vertical, which comes after you. So we had a good a good chuckle about that. But uh, Mitch, tell us about that Macedo Vertical. Yeah, how about four of the greatest vintages of Italy's most famous Merlot, arguably? Lamberto Frescobaldi and winemaker Gaia Cinarella were there to pour uh, the Macedo Toscana, the vintages range from 2019 all the way back to 1998. And you look at the scores of those wines, they start at 97, 98, 99 points. It was also just a really fascinating discussion about the terroir of that area in Bulgari and why those wines are so special. And while that was really the closing tasting of the event, I've been waiting to ask James about one that was a little more touching and kind of proved to be, I think, my favorite moment of the weekend. James, tell us about the Lunchbar Seminar. Yeah, we've talked about how there's so much emotion and there's a lot of sentiment in this event. And I think this was the emotional high point of the weekend with the Lynchbage Seminar and Jean-Charles Cause. His father, Jean-Michel, was a legend who really brought Lynchbage back to life in the 70s and 80s. Uh, he was a regular at the event. He won two Wine of the Year honors and our Distinguished Service Award. He passed away earlier this year. We showed a tribute video that we pulled out of our archives. Thanks to you, Rob, for, for digging out some of that footage. And we played that before. And it was obviously an emotional moment for Jean-Charles. And, uh, and then we talked about four wines, four vintages, two that he was in charge of, Jean-Charles, including one in the brand new winery they have, and then two vintages that his father made, uh, going back to the 1990 as the oldest one. And that was a really special tasting. Yeah, when we played that video, I had forgotten that Jean-Michel talks about how much he loves a rainy day when it starts. And it was pouring all day that Saturday, which just, you know, gave me chills. There are so many attendees at the wine experience who have been going for years, even decades. We had some people come up on stage who have gone 40 years or more, and they've gotten to know Jean-Michel. Uh, they've seen him many times. They've had conversations. It really is a giant family, and that tribute really brought that home to me. We've got a short clip of Jean-Michel from the 2014 New York Wine Experience event that we'll play at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. If you're interested in attending the 2024 New York Wine Experience, Get your pen ready. The dates are October 17 through 19, 2024 at the Marriott Marquis in New York City, as always. Tickets will go on sale via our website in the near future. It does sell out fairly quickly. Uh, yes, it does, as does the time for this episode. We've reached the end of another Straight Talk podcast, 2023 New York Wine Experience Edition. Big thanks to our special edition co-host, Mitch Frank, today. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. If you like the show, give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. It really helps more cool people like you find us. Until next time, email us your questions or just drop us a line at straighttalk at winespectator.com. And don't forget to follow Wine Spectator on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Threads, and X. James, take it away. 
We've got our sneak peek wine pick of the episode. It's celebration time, so we got to go with some champagne. My colleague Allison Napius is working through her tastings as she gets ready for our annual champagne report at the end of the year. I'm picking the Delamotte non-vintage champagne Brut Blanc de Blanc. This is the uh, little sister bottling from the famous Salon Champagne House, so you get basically the mini Salon experience. 92 points, 96 bucks, 1,400 cases made. And if you're a fan of the big, creamy, lush style of champagne, the Delamotte non-vintage champagne Brut Blanc de Blanc is my pick for you. It is that bubbly time of year, and we will be discussing that champagne report in the next episode, if I'm not mistaken. Thanks, Rob. And to our listeners, this is James Molesworth signing off, reminding you to always share when you drink the good stuff. I think uh, this one will be around for... I would say another 50 years, uh, I won't be around. Most of you won't either. <laughs> when you drink wine, you drink also history. And uh, when you open a bottle of wine, uh, this is something I like to say, it's like a Aladdin's lamp. You know, you pull the cork and the genie of the wine comes out of the bottle. And with the, carrying with it the, the history, of the place where it was grown, the people who made it, and, uh, and the time. Again, the time machine. Th- wine is a time machine. <laughs>